0: Hello and welcome to the CPD Group Podcast. Join us as we guide you through all things CPD, interview some special guests, and offer advice to help your business thrive. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome back to the CPD Group Podcast, where we're talking to Wayne Bynon about all legal ramifications around our accreditation services. So this is part three of a three-part series. So if you've missed part one and part two, go back and have a look and see what Wayne's got to share with us. Okay, so we cover in part one all about our provider accreditation. Part two is about our trainer accreditation. And today we're going to be talking about Part three are activities, okay? So what constitutes an activity in our world? So we are talking about training courses and training materials. So when you're looking to have your training materials accredited with us, we advise you to get familiar with our accredited framework. So you can find it on our website and it goes from A to D, talking about all the various elements that our assessors are going to be measuring your training materials against. Now, Wayne here, who's been sitting with us over the last couple of episodes of the series, is a a specialist in intellectual property. So I've been trying to squeeze lots of different information out of him in different areas that aren't really his specialism, but he's been giving us some great advice. But on this area, this is what Wayne knows the best, okay? So please take heed of what Wayne's got to share with you today about protecting your materials and making sure your intellectual property is protected at all times and what you can do in that area, okay? So you'll find that I within our accredited framework is specifically about intellectual property. It's a very, very important area. So Wayne, let's get stuck into this, shall we? Sure okay. then. Yep. So intellectual property, what is it?
1: Okay, Andy, uh, what is intellectual property? I could, yeah, spend days, <laughs> I could spend two days answering that question, but um, it is the expression Of original thought that's essentially what it is and it falls in broadly into four categories so you've got copyright which covers written content uh, musical works artistic works and sound recordings secondly you have trademarks which cover names logos brand identifiers such as Nike or McDonald's Uh, then you have um, uh, patents which cover, broadly, inventions. So that can be physical inventions like a mousetrap or um, drugs in the pharmaceutical space also qualify for patent protection. And then lastly, we talk about design rights, which are a form of um, of copyright, or an extension of the copyright body, but um, they cover uh, design features of, um, of physical products. So, for example, uh, the functional design of um, uh, the shape of a, a handle on a spade, for example, that kind of thing. Or one of the recent cases um, to have gone through the courts related to um, the children's um, uh, luggage called the Trunkey and and, and whether uh, an infringing uh, party had had got too close to that, the design features of the Trunkey suitcase. So design... um, Covers both registered design and unregistered design, both in the UK and across Europe. So, um, those are the four main areas of uh, intellectual property. And, um, and like I say, the key thing to remember here is that intellectual property is intended to cover the expression of original thoughts. So, it needs to be uh, manifested in some way, whether it, that's in writings, like I say, sound recording, um, the logo printed to paper, or the the, the invention. Um, but down recorded as, form, uh, as a form of a registered patent. What intellectual property law doesn't cover is thoughts in your own head when you mm-hmm. keep them to yourself. When they're there, great, but you'll only afford yourself protection once they're committed. So um, like I've just touched upon, some areas of intellectual property operate under a registered system, some don't. And probably most um, relevant to this conversation is um, copyright in the content that your trainers are, are creating um, when they're delivering their courses. And copyright in the UK operates under an unregistered system, which means that there's no requirement to go and register copyright with any um, body, um, such as the Intellectual Property Office or anything like that. You're afforded that protection as soon as you put pen to paper and, and, and share those, um, that material. Um, the same goes for um, sound recordings, video content. As soon as it's created, you're afforded that protection and uh, effectively you're given the exclusive right, rights over the use and exploitation of those creative works. Um, so hopefully that's, that, that gives you a flavour of what we're talking about here.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It sounds like it's quite a, a big world intellectual property it
1: it, it is and um, you know that's one of the best things about practicing in this area as a lawyer because every case I come across is um, distinctly different from the previous one Um, I could be dealing with a patent infringement case relating to a a, the development of a cancer drug once one week and then the next week talking about brand protection um, uh, for you know a, a, a greetings card manufacturer or something like that so Um, Very, very wide spectrum of work, very, very interesting, Mm. quite often at the cutting edge of uh, various technologies. So as a lawyer, I get to learn an awful lot about different inventions, different creations, different um, content. So, um, yeah, very interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it sounds interesting, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, when we're talking about the creation, and generally, what we find is it's, um, it's video, or it's the written word that we're presented with as part of our application process. Okay, so, you know, what can companies do to help protect their IP
1: in, in the general sense? Okay, so we're talking about copyright again. Right. Okay, this is written materials that they're creating. Again, as I said a moment ago, there's no register, no official register on which you can um, go and register your copyright. There are unofficial registers out there, which might take a fee, key piece of advice. Don't bother with those, certainly not in the UK. I should say in the US, they do operate under a registered system, so the, the, the law is slightly different over there. But when we're talking about UK companies, which we are predominantly talking about here, there's no need to go off and register um, any kind of intellectual property protection over the content that you create. Now, you'll uh, lots of the listeners to this podcast will be familiar with the, the copyright logo, yeah. And at the bottom of websites or printed materials, we often see copyright protected, and then a year. Mm. That doesn't afford um, the copyright owner of those works any more protection. It's simply a warning sign to others right. that this this content is copy copyright protected. You know, uh, as soon as it was created, as I said a moment ago, and um, and warns others off from potentially copying it without the owner's permission. So that's one step that people a, a copyright creators can um, uh, can uh, adopt. Um, But I think that one of the most important things to ensure here is that when content is being created by your training providers it is either original content that they've created or if they are using other people's uh, content, taking content off the internet for example, that that content is either open source content where you don't need a license to use it or They've acquired the appropriate permission of the copyright owner to use that and exploit that copyright content. Um, without without that um, uh, permission or authorization from the copyright owner, your trainers potentially face the risk of copyright infringement action, mm. which broadly speaking um, amounts to an allegation that you've copied their works without their permission and you've derived some kind of financial benefit from doing that. And so. The copyright owner may be entitled to seek um, an injunction, so a, a prohibitive injunction, preventing your trainers from using their content again. And secondly, and possibly more importantly, uh, either a, dam- a damages claim or an account of profits. So forcing your trainers to, pr- to account to them for the profits that they've generated from using that copyright protected material without their permission now, I've rattled through an awful lot there, and there are some nuances and, and, uh, and what have you I could go into, but those that, it's important to stress that when they're, creating, creating, when they're using content, they either created it themselves, or they've got the owner's permission to use it.
0: Excellent. Now, when you talk about creating it yourself... How far does this go? Because we've seen multiple things, as you can imagine, right? We've seen uh, training manuals sent to us where every piece of it has been, I mean, you simply Google a sentence from it and you'll find original works online somewhere, okay? And the whole manual is made up of various different articles from different authors all over the world, you know? So it, technically the content is fantastic. The learning journey is is really good. Um, that's because it's been essentially written by the best doctors or the best people in the world, you know, this kind of thing. But where, I mean, where I mean, can I just tweak the words a little bit, change a little bit here, there, and everywhere, and it still becomes my own?
1: Okay, so we're getting into the weeds here of um, yeah. co- copyright, <laughs> copyright infringement. Um, but I'll try, and I'll try and explain this as, as simply as possible. But the t- the courts tend to adopt a qualitative rather than a quantitative approach. Right. So what I mean by that is if you take a page of written uh, material and you divide it up into five paragraphs. If a training provider takes a paragraph um, from five different sources and pops it into one document, that training provider will have infringed the copyright belonging to all five of those original authors. If you take um, a piece of um, A4 paper, written prose, and you change all of the sentences slightly Um, so that it reads slightly different, or there's a creative element or input into creating something new throughout the document, then you're less likely to infringe. Okay, now, if you only change one or two words, and the overall um, structure of the sentences and and the messaging remains the same, then, you know, you're pushing towards infringement. Mm. It's a sliding scale, and it's quite subjective and We talked um, just off-air before we started this podcast about uh, the subjective nature of lots of these um, intellectual property type infringement claims where quite often it's down to the assessment of the judge as to whether or the extent to which something has, has or has not been copied.
0: It sounds like a bit of a minefield, doesn't it? So ultimately, the main advice is make it original. To start with, is that is that? Yeah, fair it, go, to it, say? Goes,
1: it goes back to my very first point. Intellectual property protects the the expression of original thought. Mm. So if, if 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 it's your own work, then you're fine. I should say that, that you know you could have two training providers delivering the same kind of course on the same subject matter, sit in two separate rooms and create identical training um, mm. training materials. Because of their experiences, their training, where they went to school, all the rest yeah. of it, they just happen by pure coincidence to create something identical. They will both be entitled to copyright protection over their own materials. It's the copying yeah. that's prohibited. Right. Okay? So you can, it can happen in the artistic or, or, um, uh, or, or musical worlds. So long as the, the content of the creation is an expression of your own original thought rather than having been copied from elsewhere... Yeah. then you're okay
0: so in terms of licensing as well around this you know so again when our manuals come to us you know from uh, our training providers who submit them for accreditation uh, there's written content obviously but it's generally supported by imagery now we've seen on many occasions which we've had to send back people using images with Shutterstock watermark right across the middle which implies to us that there's no license behind that now Do people need to have these licenses in place? And if so, what are the implications if they're using these images without that license?
1: Okay, so I I touched a moment ago about um, obtaining the copyright owner's consent authorization Mm -hmm. to use their works. And and that's effectively what we're talking about when we talk about licensing, copyright licensing. The most important thing to ensure here is that that license if it's been obtained, is in writing, and that um, it provides um, your trainers with the right kind of license. So the ability to use it for training purposes. So licenses are often bespoke and give give the licensee rights to use um, works in specific instances or for a specified period of time. So because a, a training provider has a license in place it doesn't necessarily mean that they've got carte blanche to uh, to use that material in any way they want for whatever period they want so it's important to look at the terms of the license but fundamentally the point you're touching on is without without the copyright owner's permission use of that content constitutes copyright infringement so it is vital that that permission is obtained in the form of a um, of a written license
0: so you mentioned as well in terms of licensing about open
1: licenses or open source licenses I'm not sure which way you, you phrased that I mean what does that mean So um, there are certain instances where copyright uh, creators uh, are happy for uh, the world to use their their content and they put it up online and and um, there be some specific wording around that content which says that anybody is free to come and use it so effectively, giving a license to the world to, to use their um, uh, use their content. And there are specific websites that you can go to um, which, um, which have content has content on there and photographs and things like that where you're free to use them without paying any kind of license for you or obtaining any additional authorization. Right, that sounds very
0: similar to, um, you know, a course came into us, you know, after the COVID period, that kind of thing, and they were using NHS imagery. And um, you know statements from the NHS websites and things like that. So when when our assessment team looked into it, there was actually an open license. But what they requested is that you referenced it in a very specific way. You know, and uh, this individual who would sent us the application hadn't referenced in that way. Does that mean that that piece is then you know uh, infringing upon copyright because they've not done what they've been
1: requested to yeah, do? Yeah, in, in all likelihood, yes. And it comes back to this point about the the scope and the terms of the license. So what we're talking mm. about there is not strictly open source in in the in the bare sense that we were talking about a moment ago. That permission for. Uh, others to use that content was conditional. Mm. And without those conditions being met, as you say, use of it would, would have amounted to uh, to copyright infringement.
0: Yeah, that's really useful to know because uh, we, we do see lots of you know people using that kind of open source. The way you've described it, it sounds very much like the information that people are using, but making sure they protect themselves on those conditions is highly important. Now, I've heard as well in terms of protecting your own IP. And now, please tell me if this is a myth or not. That if I write something original, I put it in an envelope and post it to myself. And then that is evidence that I've actually written it and that it's original and that I've got a date stamp on it and everything. And I leave it closed in a safe. And then if anything ever comes of it,
1: I can whip that out and say, look, look at the date on that.
0: Is, is that a real thing?
1: Uh, that, that has happened. And that is a, uh, a real thing. It's not a misconception. What we're talking about here is evidencing authorship. Yeah. So uh, in any copyright infringement claim, the first thing you need to do is prove ownership. Prove that you are the owner of those works and you've not assigned them to anybody else. Mm. Um, and um, uh, and quite often, before the, um, uh, the IT revolution, when things were created and in hand and there was no electronic record of when things were created... The, quite a simple way of proving it was to um, to obtain a, a stamp from your post office and, and you can date and evidence when when things were created it was evidence it wasn't it, it never constituted um, irrefutable car- categoric evidence but it was helpful to establish right. a who the author was and b when it was cre- when when the content was created but of course these days with the advent of technology most things are created using some kind of um, computer or dev- electronic device, and um, and so most things are di- date stamped down to each time it's edited or um, or um, or amended. So, the need to um, create that additional evidence bank by posting things to yourself and what have you have tended to drift away, and it's mm. it, it, it's not really used these days. Right.
0: Super. So if I was let's say creating a training manual, okay, and I asked you to give me a you know a piece of information around intellectual property and i pop that in uh, and then i go off and i sell this manual you know and use it through my training and everything like that do you have any claim on that written piece and ask me for any money out of the back of that or is that mine or do i need to have you under contract or
1: what well, what's the best way to do that so just to speak that back to you so i properly understand the question if i if i've created some content, you take it without my permission and you incorporate it into your training manual.
0: Yeah, I ask you to write me something. Yeah, but I'm not giving you the full information about where I'm going to use it.
1: Okay, so again, it's important. So what you're effectively asking me to do is create something and license it to you so you can use it. So going back to my earlier point, if you're obtaining a license from somebody else to use content, it's important that those, the terms of that license are recorded in writing. And again, um, cheeky plug for the legal profession, the best way to do that is to instruct a lawyer to, uh, to create a formal license.
0: So I know this is a really broad question. So if you, know, you were to give one solid piece of advice to people out there who are writing their own educational content for their training materials, what, what advice would that be other than
1: originality? I think if you, if if you're running a business where there are one or two individuals creating the content and you have effective oversight of all the content being created that's a fairly straightforward situation I think the problems come when your organizations grow and you have teams of people creating content mm-hmm. and it's just, and 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 that's where companies can run into trouble where um, parts of the business perhaps aren't properly educated around this stuff around the intellectual property and um, and ensuring that they're not infringing, they're not taking content from the web without copyright owner's protection. Yeah. So I, I think my main tip in a very convoluted way would be to ensure as your business grows that um, training, uh, proper training, um, frequent training, and... Um, mm-hmm. Is um is rolled out to everybody that's creating content so that you don't run into any of the problems that we've talked around infringement and the possible ramifications if you are you know using content without owners' permission. So as
0: a as a training provider, as you've mentioned in that kind of uh in your answer there, I've got a team of people working for me who are creating the content on my behalf. I've got them under contract so that everybody knows where they stand, but then they have used content from the internet and I wasn't aware of it. So I think this is original content, and I'm selling it on that basis. What happens if the original author then came to me and said, you've, you've stolen my material here without my consent? Where would I stand as a training provider when it was one of my staff members that did that?
1: Yeah, so as an as employer, we're talking about vicarious li- liability here. So right. if, the, if the employee um, committed that infringing act during the course of their employment, most likely it would be the company that would be pursued for copyright infringement. Mm. So that's why I'm Talking about the importance of training yeah. and regular updates and um, uh, what have you as your, as your business grows and develops. And the same goes for when you're uh, outsourcing the creation of content. So it might not be you know your employees, but you might inst- um, instruct the services of a, an external copywriter, for example, to create content for you. It's important that when you're engaging with these individuals, you obtain well, first of all, that there's a proper um, uh, document um, setting out the terms on which you're engaging that third-party content creator, but it also provides you with some kind of assurance or indemnity in terms of the originality of the content that they're creating for you. So that in the event that your th- your your external copyright provider does infringe somebody else's copyright infringement, you've got some kind of recourse against that company or that individual if they've given you given you contractual assurances around the originality of that content
0: excellent excellent advice so imagine i'm just keeping putting you on the spot here Wayne. imagine (laughs) i've created a new original training manual um you know using it to to train lots and lots of different learners out there one of those learners then takes that that manual puts their own brand on it and starts using it as their own how
1: you know how do i protect myself in that instance and what can i do about that Okay, so protection, as I've already talked about, there is no formal um, register in which you can protect your copyright. So one of the ways of warning others off from copying or infringing your copyright is to put the copyright logo that we know so well at the at the bottom yeah. of all, the, you know, possibly on every page of the manual if if necessary, but certainly on the front and on the inside cover. Um, and then if you know if infringement does happen, then the first thing to do is speak to an intellectual property lawyer about potential action against um, that company or individual that's used your your content without your permission. But ultimately, the two things that the law entitles you to do is to seek an injunction to prevent them from continuing to use your, um, your material and damages or an account of profits. Um, account of profits is probably more preferable if the... Um, if the party that's infringing has, um, has generated significant significant income from using your content. Mm. Another case
0: that came up, actually, which I'm aware of, uh, it wasn't through the CPD group, actually, but it, I'm aware of it through uh, um, other jobs that I used to be in. Um, content was written, let's just say 1990, okay? Little copyright sign, copyright 1990, written on the front cover. Somebody then stole those materials and then put copyright 1989 on the front of theirs. So theirs looked like it was done before the 1990 original version. How would a court pull that, or a lawyer like yourself, pull that apart?
1: Okay, so it goes back to the point that you, uh, you raised a moment ago around uh, date uh, stamping or sending mm. uh, things in the post yourself. It's the ability to evidence who created it and when. Yeah. And um, there, in, in that instance, there would inevitably be an evidential battle between the true owner that created it in 1990 and the infringing party who alleged they created it one year earlier. Mm. And whatever evidence they could present to the court to convince the court that the one or other party were correct would probably win the day.
0: Right, okay, so it's kind of a bit murky, that. <laughs> it, it, it
1: is, but, it, but it, it probably highlights the importance of um, uh, keeping a, an evidential trail Absolutely. of when you know, various content is created. Like I said earlier, these days it is a lot, a lot easier because you have um, IT systems that can be pulled apart and interrogated, mm. yeah. and you can prove when you know, written prose is created on your laptop or whatever electronic device you're, you're using. I know we've
0: covered loads, and thank you very much for this information. It's really useful, especially to the viewers and listeners, of course. But have you got any final hints and tips that you would give in relation to IP, just in general?
1: If in doubt, speak to a a qualified Mm. intellectual property specialist. I've t- today on this podcast I've run through some broad principles around specific um, copyright infringement or um, authorizations to use copyright materials, um, but IP is a specific area of law, and there are lots of exceptions and um, and uh, nuances to it that um, that layer on top of the basics that I've set out today. So it's it's often dangerous to um, uh, to assess a situation or proceed if you're unsure always go and speak to a lawyer because they'll be able to give you that certainty um, and um, uh, ensure that you move forward with your business on a sure footing and you're protected against potential you know adverse legal action which can you know drain on resources both time and financial for any business Um, and quite often the you know the advice be quite straightforward and the steps that you can take to protect yourself can be you know fairly minimal the dangers arise when you um, potentially head on the wrong path or use infringing content for a period of time, generate significant profits as a result of that use, and then face significant legal action. So, um, you know, in a very convoluted way, my, my key bit of advice was to seek advice early.
0: Well, there you have it, viewers and listeners. From the man himself, this is Wayne Bynum from HCR Law. If you're going to listen to anyone, I would recommend listening to Wayne because he knows his stuff in this area. Okay, so look for legal advice if you're looking to protect your intellectual property. And thank you very much for joining us on this three part series looking at the law behind our accreditation services. Thank you very much, everyone. And join us in the next podcast. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to the CPD Group Podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more helpful content. See you soon. Before you go, did you know that you could receive a free CPD certificate from listening to this podcast? All you need to do is head over to the cpd.group forward slash podcast. That's the cpd.group forward slash podcast. Enter the confirmation code eight zero 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 one five.